0: Episode 146 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. The Pilot the Pilot podcast is brought to you by the Finer Points. They have an amazing ground school app for the knowledge you need to fly. To learn more, visit learnthefinerpoints.com.
1: Hi, I'm Emmy. I fly Learjet 31s and 35s. We're an air ambulance company and I'm
0: a former engineer. AV Nation, welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot Podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today's episode is with Emmy. Emmy is currently flying Learjets around. She went to Embry Riddle. And she went the engineer route. She had what she called her dream job with uh, engineering and aviation and avionics. And then she found out that she wanted to fly more. So follow Emmy's story. And I really think Emmy's story is going to be pretty great because she's done a lot. She's accomplished a lot. She's a go-getter. She's setting goals and she's making it happen. It's very encouraging and very inspiring. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you do, please leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out on Instagram at Pilot the Pilot. Patreon, patreon.com slash Pilot the Pilot. And Facebook, Twitter at Pilot the Pilot. Navy I want to go ahead and get this episode started. So, Without any further ado, here's Emmy. Emmy, what's going on? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: Good. How are you?
1: I'm great. I'm super, super excited.
0: Yeah, you were telling me that this is your last day off, so you're sharing precious time with us right now, and I am very appreciative of that. I know on my last day, it is just a hot mess, and I have to do all the packing, all the laundry, all the cleaning, all everything on the last day, yep. so it can be kind of stressful. So I appreciate you spending some time with us.
1: Oh no, of course. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm I'm super excited. That's
0: awesome. Well, I'm very excited to have you on. Um, you are the better part of uh, an aviation couple, couple with uh, Mike, <laughs> who has been on the podcast before, <laughs> Wonder Boy, Wonder Kid. So uh, yep. yeah, we had to get you on. We had to show him up and the episode has to be better than his. No pressure.
1: <laughs> I think I can do that.
0: Cool. Good. All right, perfect. Well, let's go ahead and get started. The first question I ask everyone, it's not too hard. It's a pretty easy question, but it can kind of lead to some interesting conversation. So it is, why aviation? Why did you want to become a pilot, get involved with aviation in general, become an aviation engineer? Just uh, why aviation?
1: Sure. So my usual story that I tell people, um, I don't really remember a time when I wasn't involved in aviation where like it just, I never had a special moment like some people have. It's always just been a statement of fact for me that I am going to be in aviation. I'm going to be a pilot. My mom tells a story that one of the first words I ever said was plane. Um, and uh, I don't know how true that is, but she tells it. So I kind of trust it to a certain point. So um, I grew up going to air shows with my family. Um, I joined Civil Air Patrol when I was in middle school. Um, And I just went on to pursue an engineering degree, obviously became a pilot, so did that in high school. And it's kind of been an ongoing flow as to whatever direction or path I take. Um, What I've learned is that everything I've ever planned since I was a kid has not happened the way I wanted it to, but it's turned into a really awesome experience.
0: Was there anyone in your family that was an aviation or a pilot or was it just like totally, completely random? You said pilot at like six months old and it was just from there, Emmy's going to be a pilot.
1: So I do have some cousins, some distant cousins that I think he flies for United. Um, But I didn't know this until I was probably 12 or 13. Um, But in my immediate family, I was the first. Um, I'm no longer the only pilot. Um, I'm... If I remember correctly, I'm the only civilian pilot, but we have um, a B-1 Wizzo, a Blackhawk pilot, and a C-130 pilot in my family now. So um, they've they've all kind of jumped on the bandwagon, if you will.
0: That's pretty cool. So you're a trendsetter.
1: Well, I don't know about that, but...
0: Uh, you mentioned that um, from when you were very young, your a kid, you want to be a pilot, you had kind of goals and dreams. And then you mentioned that it's gone completely different. What were the original goals and dreams when you kind of had the first idea of becoming a pilot? Maybe before you became a pilot, uh, what was your overall goal and your initial goal with an aviation career or life?
1: So my original plan was to be an F-14 driver. <laughs> I wanted to go Navy, and I wanted to fly F-14s like Tom Cruise. Um, and uh, I, I definitely think I have to blame Top Gun for that one. But um, I um, I actually grew up going to air shows at the East Coast um, Master Jet Base, Oceana. And so I, I just grew up seeing F-14s. And I think that's kind of what led into that. But, um, you know, unfortunately, I never went military. Um, so I had to think of a different route. <laughs> so that's kind of where the engineering, you know, came into play is, you know, what can I do um, that keeps me in aviation, um, that utilizes, you know, the degree that I got and um, really, really be involved in airplanes.
0: So was Civil Air Patrol kind of a young Emmy getting ready for her military career?
1: Yeah, pretty much. The The idea um, was it gets you involved with um, various aspects that lead into military discipline, things related to leadership, self-discipline, um, but also things like aerospace education and search and rescue. Now, naturally, I was really, really interested in aerospace education. Um, I ended up, um, some of the things that I did, um, I went to, um, they have a summer camp type um, selection process where you can attend various different things. So one of them that I attended, I attended Space Command um, Familiarization Course. So spent a week down at a Patrick Air Force Base studying, you know, the new age of, you know, space at the time. Um, I also did Specialized Undergraduate Pilot Training Familiarization Course, which is a really, really long phrase for, I spent a week at Columbus Air Force Base Studying somewhat alongside actual UPT flight students, um, and then I the I think the coolest thing I did I spent almost a month in Turkey studying their aviation industry between military um, not not so much studying the military but seeing a little bit of it and then um, the general aviation side so it allowed me to do a lot um, that I don't think I would have had otherwise. And so that was all through a, the
0: Civil Air Patrol.
1: Yeah, and I so all of this happened before I turned eighteen. Dang, that's crazy um, yeah i f- I flew gliders with them too. I almost forgot about that that's actually probably more important because I was the first like small airplane I'd ever been in that I only had ever been in you know commercial aircraft, and then the next thing I knew i was in a glider and I had no idea what to expect, but obviously it was, uh, it was well worth the experience.
0: So I haven't really touched on silver patrol with anyone I talked with. I don't think, I mean, that oh, could really? be okay, yeah, yeah, it could be wrong. So I would love to talk about this more. My idea sure. of silver air patrol. I, I mean, I feel like everyone kind of is introduced to it when they're in their training because someone, they either know someone in it or they know of it. Uh, they don't really know the full idea of it. Like in my mind, all I see is people wearing flight suits and it looks very serious. And from what I heard, it's kind of like a seniority based thing where you don't really get to fly too much until you move up in rank. Is that true necessarily? Or?
1: So not really that. So I'll touch on the uniform thing. So the uniforms are actually pretty important. And I know like it looks kind of silly to see a 12 year old, you know, wearing, you know, BDUs or ACUs, but it kind of leads you into that whole idea of building discipline and, um, getting you involved in leadership. So like we followed military standards, we had inspections. It was a, you know, it was a big deal. Um, and it's like that all over the country. Um, the flight suits, you have to be of a certain like flight level. So if you are actually in civil air patrol, like flight training with them, yeah, you can wear a flight suit. Um, you know, when you can get wings and things like that. Um, In terms of actually flying, every cadet is able to experience it through what we call an O-ride, which is an orientation flight. And, ooh, I want to say you can have up to five of those, um, each with a different curricula that they follow. Um, But to actually, like, train to fly, obviously you have to follow all the same rules, you know, that, you know, the FAA has. Um, as a senior member, which is what I am now, I can actually get trained to fly search and rescue. Um, I haven't yet, um, but that's kind of one of those longstanding goals I have is to kind of get signed off to do some of these search and rescue flying. So it, it depends on what you really want to do with it. Obviously, I'm in aviation or on the aerospace education side, but there's also like search and rescue, both ground and air that you can also train in as well. So there's a lot to benefit from it, in my opinion. Um, you know, you just kind of have to, you know, it's kind of funny to, you know, looking back, you know, 13 years later that I've been involved with this and, you know, little 12 year old me wearing (laughs) the little BDUs running around air shows, keeping track of airplanes, you know, but it was definitely well worth it in the moment.
0: What for someone that is just looking to become a pilot, you know, they're looking for different ways to build time, they're looking for cool ways to kind of learn how to fly what is the benefit for just a normal everyday student or pilot to join the Civil Air Patrol? Other than discipline, um, can you get, can you get like discounted flight time if you, with instructors, do they have a a more rigorous training program Um, just for training and just for flying experience at all? Is it a path you would recommend for a normal everyday, not normal, that's not the right word, but just uh, your common everyday pilot?
1: Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Um, I know a handful of people that, Uh, went through Civil Air Patrol for at least their private. Um, I don't know too many details about the actual price difference between, you know, going 61, 141 or through Civil Air Patrol. I do believe it is at a slightly discounted rate in comparison. Um, But it, my advice would be for if someone's interested in learning more about it to Uh, Go to the Civil Air Patrol website, go to a squadron locator link and talk to that individual squadron. Not every squadron has an airplane, but they would at least be able to give you an idea of where to get started. Um, Another option that's available um, through Civil Air Patrol for flight training are um, these summer academies. So you can go to Glider Flight Academy or Powered Flight Academy. And that's where you literally spend a week learning how to fly an airplane. And the goal at the end of the week is to solo. So that's, um, that's a really easy and quick way you know, to knock out at least the solo part. If you go back, I think the second year you can potentially um, earn your license, but I'm not 100% sure on that. But at least it's an opportunity to get started nonetheless.
0: That's cool. And obviously, Civil Air Patrol, there's no commitment to the actual military, correct?
1: No, there yeah. is not. This is all volunteer basis. Um, you are just paying dues to be a part of Civil Air Patrol and just gain those experiences. But, you know, they want you to consider it at least as a possibility. But by no means are you, you know, contractually obligated to continue on in the military from there.
0: And when you say search and rescue, are you contracted out by uh, to try to find lost planes, to try to find lost people? And I don't know, just search and rescue, or is that something that's contracted out or is it just like someone calls and it's like, hey, we actually, if you guys want to help, you can, or is it kind of expected for the Silver Air Patrol to go uh, help with search and rescue missions?
1: I think it depends on the region. Um, uh, a famous example of Civil Air Patrol being used is I believe they were used to help find Scott Crossfield when he went missing in the middle of that storm. So, um, local, you know, local authorities can call civil air patrol because they know that they're trained to certain standards. So they are used to go find downed aircraft, um, to follow, uh, you know, ELT signals, um, and to even go look for, um, for lost people. So it's not uncommon, you know, to see, uh, these civil air patrol, you know, squadrons and groups, Get together and go out in the actual world to look for people.
0: That's awesome. And my my brief knowledge on the history of Civil Air Patrol is: weren't they? Was it World War II? They were created to help find Japanese or not Japanese German submarines off the coast. Wasn't that the initial kind of uh, reason for it?
1: That's my understanding. Um, I actually don't know too too much about the details, but yeah that that sounds pretty accurate. Um, so it's interesting to see how it's changed and what it's turned into, you know, since literally its inception in World War II.
0: So did you get your private through Civil Air Patrol or did you, were you a part of the Civil Air, Air Patrol while you were doing your training?
1: I was a part of Civil Air Patrol when I was doing my training, but I did not do it with them. I just did it part 61 um, at an airport close to home.
0: How did you find that airport? How did you kind of find, was it the only option that flight school or did you have a multitude of options? Uh, I guess my main question is someone that is 16 or someone that is younger trying to figure out what best uh, route for them to go down. How did you personally figure out the best route for you and your training and your early on?
1: Sure. So, for me, um, I grew up around a very, very you know, heavily populated like metropolitan area that has some pretty restrictive airspace, and so we aren't as lucky to have a lot of general aviation airports super close by. So I drove a little over an hour each way for my lessons. But the whole reason that I found it, um, I told my dad, and well, I told my parents, both of them, that you know, this is what I want to do, and. Um, It could be as simple as just going on Google Maps and typing in airport, just something to get an idea of what's around you. Um, Because we didn't know because we, no one in our family had experience with this. Um, So we just Googled flight schools in the area, found some that were, you know, close enough and um, that met kind of our criteria just within, you know, driving distance, the number of aircraft um, and the number of instructors. And we went out and we visited got a discovery flight. And the next thing I knew I was all signed up, ready to go. So I think what, um, what my advice is just simply to go online and look up a local flight school near your area. You can literally Google, you know, your, uh, your city name and flight school and see what you come up with because that's what I did. And it worked out for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I would,
0: uh, I would highly recommend that too. Like go Google, go try, go call, just uh, go check it out. It's a lot easier and less intimidating than you actually think.
1: Yes, exactly. I, um, I was in Colorado Springs for a work trip and our Uber driver, she just out of the blue asked us, how do I do this? And, you know, she's driving us to the FBO at the airport. So we walked her over to the flight school and said, well, these are the people you talk to. I mean, it's, it's such a simple process that, you know, a lot of people just don't understand how simple it is, you know, just to go up and go call and go talk to them. Cause Everybody really wants you to fly in the end, so.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting industry because it's a... It is a very welcoming industry and it's a very, the community is amazing in it. But from the outside looking in, it almost looks impossible for you to join. You're always going to tell yourself you're not smart enough, which I mean, I'm a pilot, so it's proven that you don't have to be too bright to become a pilot. But you know, everyone always says like, I'm not that good at math or I'm not that um, whatever. Maybe I'm not, I don't have the best eyesight. It's like, well, you can be, you can have corrective glasses now. Like that's okay. You know, it's like there's so many excuses someone can make or so many reasons. And I mean, we are a little intimidating. All we do is talk about aviation, uh, it might be hard to break into it, but once you can break into it, it is definitely a community that is worth joining and one that you will not regret joining.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I would, yeah, I don't have anything to add to it because that just covers, you know, what I love about the aviation industry is I know it can be a little intimidating or, you know, we're very different types of people, But, you know, we love aviation. We love getting other people involved with it because we want everybody to experience it. It's just so worth it. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Um, For your training, did you get your private earlier and then kind of take a pause for the rest of your training and do it later? Or did you do your private and kind of just keep knocking everything out at once?
1: So I got my private tail end of high school um, about, oh gosh, maybe a month later, I was in college, (laughs) so, um, I went ahead and I did my instrument and my multi and single engine commercial. Um, I did not get my CFI in college simply for the reason that for my particular degree program and for what I was aiming for, I didn't need to get my CFI. Um, I also, um, I also graduated early, so I didn't really have time to get my CFI, um, But it's, it's one of those, you know, gaps in my training, actually, well, really the only one that, um, looking back, I wish that, you know, I hadn't had such a gap for it. Um, but I pretty much knocked it out as quickly as I could up through my multi, um, just based on how my schooling, you know, was based off of. Where did you end up going to college? So I went to Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Daytona Beach, Florida, So, um, yeah, no, it was, um, people knock it, you know, people make fun of it, but it was honestly, looking back, one of the best experiences, one of the best decisions I ever made for me, just with the types of opportunities and the numbers of, you know, of opportunities I had both for my engineering background and for my flying background. So I really lucked out.
0: Yeah. I mean, Embry-Riddle, um, every any kind of aviation school like that, or even if you take it down to like an ATP level, those schools work for certain people. Like certain people, that is absolutely perfect for them. And others, it is probably the worst thing you could ever do or worst thing you could ever go and put yourself through. But that's yeah. okay. There are, are multiple ways for you to get into this industry. There are multiple ways for you to become a pilot. You can go to Embry-Riddle. You can go to 61 school like you went for your private. So I mean, there's so many options that you can choose from.
1: There is no, you know, what I tell people is there's no right or wrong way to do aviation. There's only your way. And if you think about it like that, then nothing can really kind of get in your way for it. So, um, yeah, there... You could just pick whatever works best for you. And, you know, that's what you need to do for you. So
0: when you were at Embry-Riddle, did you do training through the school? Was it a 141 program? Because I've heard of a lot of people. uh, Some people say it might be too expensive. And there's a lot of 61 schools in that area. Did you choose 61 or did you do the Embry-Riddle 141 flight training?
1: So I did it through Embry-Riddle for 141 training for kind of two reasons. Um, I minored minored in flight. So I needed to for my academics. Um, but also in talking with various, you know, company recruiters, um, and things over the years, having that kind of label, having that embryo Riddle label is really beneficial, especially for what I was interested in doing in aviation, having both the, um, you know, the academic and the flight training base there, um, that, you know, was a page turner for them, I guess is the way to call it. It kind of made to stand out a little bit more. But like I said, that's that's what I needed to do for, you know, my initial path in aviation. Um, it was, you know, it was a little bit expensive. There are cheaper ways to do it. Absolutely. But for me, it was a training I needed. And um, I really liked the structure of 141 for me. My brain operates very well that way, having that kind of structure. So I really appreciated it. And especially looking back now, having both 141 and 61 it was very beneficial for me for the readings that I, you know, that I gained with that.
0: So if you could do it all again, say you go back in time and you have the opportunity to start a 141 school with your private and finish at everything with 141, would you have done it that way or did you did you enjoy experiencing what the 61 training environment was like and then venture into the 141 world?
1: I don't think I would have changed what I did. Um 61 I didn't really have any, you know, I didn't have any other exposure, you know, any other way in aviation otherwise. But for me, just how I was exposed to it through that 61 program with my instructors, it just, it worked for me, (laughs) which completely contradicts what I just said about 141. Um, But in the moment, it worked really well for me. Um, Especially, you know, because I was in high school, I was already juggling an entire school load. So having this program really structured around what I needed really worked for me. But then when I went to college, my whole collegiate experience, you know, was wrapped around aviation. And so having that just incorporated into my academics the way that it was, that worked really well for me. Um, And then I went back to 61 when I um, got my CFI, which worked for me at the time because I was working to a job and a half at the, you know, at the same time. So in the moment, worked great for me. Do I recommend it to other people? I wouldn't say I recommend it. I would say that you just have to try one, try the other, figure out what's best and move forward with it. Just because, you know, where you are in that moment when you're doing your training, that's what matters and whatever works for you is going to work for you. Um and I, you know, I can't tell and I know, you know, a lot of people can't tell what's going to work best for somebody else. So that's why I never, you know, I never push one over the other. It's just whatever works best for you.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a fit. It's definitely, uh, you got to try them both if you can. I know it's easier said than done, but, and you could be kind of expensive to go into 141 school or 61 school, especially if you go, I feel like if you go from 61 to 141, because a lot of 141 schools might not accept all of your your courses. So you might have to redo and it might be more expensive and you might have to pay for extra flight time. But I feel like if you start 141 and then go 61, they'll be like, oh, cool. Yeah, you did all that. Yeah, we'll see where you're at and we'll just start training. You know, it's not very regimented. It's kind of like, all right, you can fly, uh yeah, your landings are good, you're already soloed cool, all right, here you're gonna sign off in a check right tomorrow. what <laughs> <You> yeah, <know? laughs> it
1: can, that transition is so much easier, but um, yeah, it's unfortunately, that's kinda like the downside of trying to figure out your little spot in flight training is just trying to find the right fit is usually the biggest hurdle people find. Um, and unfortunately I have no advice to give on how to figure that out because everybody's different. Every instructor is different. Every location is different. So it's like, it's like trying to find a really comfortable shoe and like, there's like 50 different types of comfortable shoes and I can't tell you which one to try.
0: (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah. Just try as many as you can before you find the right one. (laughs) Exactly. Don't spend too much money. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so you mentioned earlier and we kind of touched on it, uh, the military part, you were all in a military, you know, you're going to be top gun. You're going to be Tom Cruise 2.0 bigger and better. Um, what, what was the reason you didn't go that route? Obviously we talked a lot about how you're preparing for that. Was your decision to go to MB riddle still in accordance with that plan? Or was that after you kind of decided that's not what I'm doing anymore?
1: So it was entirely in accordance with it. Um, Embry-Riddle is really famous for their Air Force detachment. Um, Among, you know, all of the other branches, Embry-Riddle has um, just about every branch of ROTC you can find. And that was very, very, you know, that was a huge factor for me at the time. Um, I was um, toying with applying to military academies or Embry-Riddle and um, Embry-Riddle just kind of beat it out a little bit simply because of the program I was interested in. So I I show up for, you know, junior year of high school, you're doing all your college tours. And and so I went and I talked with the detachment. And um, so I had some when I was really little, I had um, I don't want to call them medical issues, but I had stuff come up that kind of were red flags to them. In addition to, you know, my glasses, I wore glasses. And, um, I cannot correct my, I can't get like corrective surgery or anything. So unfortunately I had too many of those red flags kind of pop up, um, for them. And they, I wouldn't say that they told me not to pursue it, but it kind of turned into this conversation of, I'm not sure, you know, what you can do for us. And so unfortunately, just because of, because of those situations, I didn't, um, I I couldn't really move forward with it, which was honestly, you know, the biggest blow, uh, my first real kind of difficult moment as a, well, almost adult at the time, um, because all of these dreams and plans I had kind of came crashing down into, well, you know, we would love to, but you just don't really qualify. And, uh, so I had to, I had a little reality check of, you know, what was I going to do? And, um, that's where, um, human factors engineering really came into play.
0: Yeah. Talk a little about that. I was going to ask you, I was going to ask how, difficult is that to hear especially ever since you kind of really knew who you were you were probably identifying as yourself as being top gun you were going to fly f-14s you're going to be in the military you're going to go be a pilot and then seeing your dream at such an early age kind of be taken from you and that's not necessarily your fault it's just kind of the cards that you're dealt you know you didn't do anything wrong you didn't do anything to deserve this uh what's the the process what's the thought process going through in that that moment did you even did you think about maybe even like giving up aviation in general or you're just kind of like sad for a couple of days and it hurt but you're like I got to figure out how else I can get in the air
1: So I didn't really have, you know, a necessarily a bad reaction. It was pretty much just okay. This is the reality I'm given. What am I going to do instead? And um if there's anything to know about me, I am a planner, so I usually have plans A through F ready to go. <laughs> in a lot of different scenarios. So I knew that, okay, well, if I can't do this, then I'll try something else. So next on my list was looking into becoming a combat meteorologist in the air force. Um, so we talked about that for a brief minute and, you know, still came to realize that I, I, I physically couldn't really qualify for what they needed or wanted. So, okay, well, on to, you know, plan, you know, plan C, which um, for me was uh, human factors engineering um, and aviation safety. Um, so I never really had a moment where I would say that I was sad. Like looking back, I I don't have any recollection of ever feeling sad. It was pretty much just an acceptance of what cards I was dealt and I moved on. Um, but I feel like that mentality I've kind of brought into aviation, you know, through a lot of the hurdles that I've experienced is you know you can't being sad and experiencing your emotions when something doesn't go your way is completely normal and i you know i always tell people that that's normal feel them and you know process them but i'm the type of person i don't get stuck because of you know just because of the cards i was dealt i just have to find a new reality and a new path and i've just become very good at that <laughs> so that was really kind of the first, you know, change in path for me throughout my career. And I have no regrets whatsoever. I'm very thankful that I was dealt that at the time because it's, you know, that's part of what brought me to where I am now. And, you know, 2020 has been, you know, a lot of hurdles. And so it's really prepared me for the rest of my career in a sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's definitely easier said than done. You know, someone that that gets that terrible news of something that they just thought was going to happen. They may, like you said, maybe it could even just be as simple as, you put everything in to go to a check ride and you fail that check ride and not letting that that failure define you and accepting the fact that maybe you just had a bad day. Uh, what can we do to make this better? How do I pass next time? And like you said, plan A, B, C, D, E, F, all the way to Z, whatever you want to do, just just have a plan ready. Just be ready to go attack and, and feel the emotions, be sad and let them kind of run their course and then get back after it.
1: Yeah. You use them as motivation. Use it as inspiration. Um, those are two words that Um, some of my mentees have used recently because, you know, they've been hit. So, you know, by, well, 2020 for lack of a better term. And, um, so taking whatever you're experiencing and just turning it into motivation, inspiration and, you know, never be afraid to ask for help, ask for questions, but always be prepared for something to not go the way you want it to. And I think that's a little bit of closure that we can all learn from in pretty much like any aspect of your life. Um, not to get philosophical or anything.
0: <laughs> but, <laughs> the philosophical podcast now. That's the whole right? thing. That's the whole point. No more aviation. <laughs> That's funny. Um, when you were, or I guess better thing I want to ask is, are you completely over that part of your life? Are you 100% over and okay with the fact that you're not in the military? Or let's say tomorrow there's a memo blast put out and it's like, we will accept anyone to fly F-14s. <laughs> Will would you quit everything you're doing and go sign up for that or is that kind of coming past?
1: No, I would consider it absolutely. Um, my family, um, it's almost tradition that you, you know, go into the military and, and you serve your country. Um, both my parents were um are 20-year veterans of active duty US Army. And so a lot of my aunts, a lot of my uncles, a huge part of my generation of our families um are either active duty reserve, um, national guard, um, pretty much anything you can think of. So for me, it's almost like I'm, I'm serving my family just as much as I am my country. And that's very important to me. So if I had the opportunity, I would totally consider it, you know, and, um, it's actually, it's funny you bring it up because I was flying with a captain not too long ago. And he was like, Hey, like, just consider it. I I think wide bodies are, are hiring, you know, pilots with glasses, because that's obviously my, one of my biggest hurdles is I can't really do anything about my eyes. Um, so it's, it's been, I've been toying with it in my head. I haven't done too much research and honestly, I probably should, but if that was an option, yeah, I would absolutely consider it. It's a door that isn't fully closed, um, for me. So if the opportunity arised, I would consider it.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned serving, and what what does necessarily serving mean to you? Like everyone joins the military for different reasons, and for you, you mentioned it's kind of like your family's duty. Everyone in your family sounds like they felt the need and the call to serve. Is serving kind of to you, like you said, serving your family who has this tradition of becoming or uh, joining the military to serve the the country and the greater good, or whatever you want to call it? Or is it more of a personal thing down on your level where you feel like you want to give back to the country?
1: I think it's both. Um, yeah, I think it's both. My my family has done so much. You know, my, my grandfather uh, was in the Battle of the Bulge. He served, you know, during World War II. And looking back, it's kind of like, wow, like, he, he was able to do that. You know, I should, you know, I want to help. I want to you know, protect our freedoms and our country and, you know, protect my family too, kind of in a sense. So it's, it's definitely both, um, you know, not just family legacy, but just to have an opportunity to, you know, just serve this great country and to do whatever I can to protect it in whatever, you know, capacity I can, which obviously my preference would be flying, Um, but I, you know, that's it's just part of how I've grown up, part of, you know, the environment that, um, yeah, that I that I lived in. And it's funny, I'm actually staring at um, I have a, um, I have an American flag that was given to me by an F-35 pilot or sorry, F-22 pilot that he flew over Iraq and he gave to me. And, you know, every once in a while, you know, when I look at it, I kind of get that, you know, the feelings, you know, kind of come back as to why why that's important to me and why, you know, I wish I could have the opportunity to do that. So definitely both. (laughs) That's so cool.
0: That's awesome. And I respect that. It's, uh, for me, I don't necessarily feel that call to serve and it's different for everyone and it's okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I just feel like the military for me is not a right fit and there's no like belief system issues. There's no anything like that. It's just Personally, I don't really, I don't, I just don't want to join the military and that's okay. And I respect it so much for someone that, that has that call, that has that want that comes from a family of service because we need that. We do need service and we do need people to join the military or else it'd be kind of like a draft situation, you know? So I definitely respect that. And if the opportunity ever comes, uh, that would be really cool. Get in a a wide body and do some really cool things. Yeah
1: it would be really cool. Um, and, uh, you know, there's always other ways, you know, to serve your country too, that don't involve being, you know, in the military things like the red cross, you know, being a firefighter, th- things like that. That's all, you know, in my mind, that's all serving your country somehow serving your community. So, um, you know, there, there are lots of ways that you can, you know, kind of give back. And, uh, that's, that's very much my personality, um, to kind of give back whoever I can, Um, which is why I I do a lot in my free time, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, no, I, and same goes for me. I completely respect, you know, you know, differing, uh, kind of feelings about it. And, you know, it's, it's not for everybody. Not everybody has that calling and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that either way. So yeah, I completely respect it.
0: So let's go back to getting ready to leave Embry-Riddle. Did you feel like, uh, you were set up well for success after Embry-Riddle. Like you mentioned, it looks really good. You mentioned that it looked really good to have kind of aviation training, flight training through Embry-Riddle. Did you feel like Embry-Riddle put you in a great opportunity to succeed for your career?
1: Absolutely. So I'll give you a couple of reasons. So the job that I got after um, I graduated, so I was an aviation systems and human factors engineer, for an avionics manufacturer, which was literally my dream job of the time and still kind of is. Um, The whole reason that they picked me, I was the sixth or seventh person picked for this team. So very, very small team for a very, very big manufacturer. So it was a big deal, but they picked me because of the experiences that I had made for myself at Embry-Riddle. So things like being on the precision flying team, being an air racer, being a member of the honor society for my degree program, having, you know, the GPA that I had, ha- taking the classes that I had taken, all played into why I was picked. And I I don't know how I could have set myself up any better. The team that I became a part of, you were required to you know be a pilot, but I was you know set apart from the rest of the crowd because of the type of flying that I did when I was at Embry riddle, and I don't really know you know how lucky I would have been if I had gone to another university or had I done you know sixty one training and not had the opportunity to do the types of flying I was able to do. so the way that I did it worked really well for me to get into that dream job position fresh out of school,
0: yeah. And that was with avionics manufacturer. You've done a couple of jobs since then,
1: right? (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. What's the laundry list? (laughs) So I, I was an avionics engineer for a little over three years. Um, and, uh, recently all this has happened this year. So in February, um, I made the change. I became a corporate pilot for an aircraft manufacturer, which unfortunately with COVID only lasted six weeks. (laughs) So, um then I kind of went on the uh the furlough laid off train along with you know a large majority of our industry i I'm a flight instructor too, but even that was not a qualification to get hired at the time, so kind of floated the train for a while i um I almost went to some different engineering companies that um <laughs> looking back people will probably you know, laugh at me for turning down, but I wanted to be a, you know, I want to be a pilot, right? So anyway, long story short, that's how I've ended up here on the West coast flying Lear jets is through my network, through my friends that I am so incredibly thankful for. You have no idea. Um, otherwise I don't know how I would have, you know, found the position that I'm in. Um, and you know, for my chief pilot to, you know, hire me on considering how, you know, I feel that I am very inexperienced, you know, I still have so much to learn, but I also have a lot of different experiences under my belt, even for, you know, such low time. So I'm thankful. (laughs) Um, and I've, I've had a, I've definitely been driving the crazy train all year, but, things have seemed to calm down. So
0: yeah, for now, don't, don't let your guard down too much. I know, you know?
1: <laughs> I'm knocking on wood as we speak. <laughs> I was going
0: to say, uh, <laughs> I'm getting nervous for you already. <laughs> I
1: know, I know. Knock on wood. <laughs> um,
0: you mentioned that you had your dream job. Uh, it was essentially engineering, dream job, avionics. And still to this day, you said that that could still be your dream job. What was the decision for you to go find a flying job? Was it because you wanted to fly or was it COVID in 2020 that kind of got you out of that other job?
1: So my my whole process of leaving engineering took about a year and a half, actually. So um, I've been toying with the idea, you know, since I really became, you know, a full-time engineer, you know, it, there was nothing about the job that I didn't like, I have to like make that blanket statement because I loved the people, the people that I, you know, that I had the pleasure of working with, you know, I consider my family to an extent. Um, I learned so much. I loved what I was able to do. I got to work on some really cool things, you know, for being, you know, 21 or, you know, when I first got hired to, you know, what I was able to do was people wait careers to do that. So I'm very thankful, but you know, at the same time, you know, like when people think of me, they think of me as a pilot, right? People don't think of me as an engineer. And um, so people are surprised, you know, even to find out that I was an engineer. But what really kind of made me, you know, what tipped me over the edge, I was at the uh, Women in Aviation Conference in, oh, I'm going to get it wrong, 2019. Yeah, 2019. And I was waiting in line. I was doing a tour at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory because I'm a huge nerd. And I think that's fascinating. And um, I was just talking with some of the other ladies and uh, the lady standing next to me, she was an A320 FO for American. And she just talked about. me, we were just getting to know each other. So I come to find out she had spent 16 years as a software engineer. And so, you know, just out of habit, I was like, you know, why, what made you switch? And what she said to me, so she said to me, if you think about something every single day and you are not doing it, what are you doing? And I was like, and as weird and cliche as it sounds, those words like literally stuck with me for the rest of the conference, you know, and I'm there representing, you know, my, my engineering company and I'm thinking about this. So it was really awkward, but um, I mean, you know, sh- she has absolutely got a point. You know, if you are, if you're not doing the thing that you're thinking about every day, you are not lining up with your true like with your purpose in my mind. So, you know, yes, that engineering job <clears throat> was my dream job. It even in my mind looking back, it still kind of is my dream job, but it's not what my purpose is in a way. So, I I started looking um for different jobs. I you know, I had my CFI, but unfortunately the area I was living in wasn't super supportive of hiring fresh CFIs. So I was, you know, looking around or whatever. And it took me about a year and a half to kind of find the right job. And um, that's how I ended up uh, moving um, out of, you know, moving from my engineering into my first corporate pilot position. Um, And uh, it worked out pretty well until COVID hit. But no, the whole reason I left was simply because of a conversation I had with somebody. And um, I think the lesson to like, take from that is just listening to people and telling your story to people can make a greater impact than you can ever imagine so i wish i knew her name i hope she hears this and you know that i hope she recognizes that even that simple conversation, standing in line to go look at some cool robots literally changed my life so um yeah i'm i'm very thankful for it <laughs>
0: so She gave you that advice in 2019 before all the crap has happened.
1: Way before, early, early 2019.
0: Do you have any regrets about leaving that job? Because, I mean, I don't know, maybe the same, maybe you could have been furloughed from that job too. Like, you never know what could have happened. But do you have any regrets of jumping full blown into the the pilot world and leaving kind of your dream job, the the not necessarily comfortable but the good, really cool? You know, your young self would be very proud if you were just in that that life and that that job forever. Would you still be okay, or do you regret making that decision?
1: I have no regrets whatsoever, which I know is a little bit crazy considering kind of everything that's happened. But I think younger me, if I had stayed in the engineering position. I think younger me would have actually been a little bit upset with me because I, I would not want to, you know, get to the end of my career, look back and then, you know, have regrets of not even just trying to enter the professional flying part of aviation. And I don't want to live my life with any regrets. So the way I think about it now is like, I went and I did really cool engineering things. And maybe this isn't, you know, maybe that's not the end of my engineering, but I also know that... I need to build the flight experience that I need to, you know, go fly, you know, kind of what my new goals are right down the road. And the only way to do that is to leave engineering, you know, almost completely and um, pursue flying. And um, I'm also getting my master's degree. So there's that that's kind of pushing me towards, you know, what my new goals are. So I have no regrets whatsoever, um, even though it's been an expensive year. But um, no regrets at all, and that's you know I'm proud of myself for that. So
0: you should be. Let's uh let's say you are 65 years old now, or envisioning the future. What to you, looking back on your career, would mean success to you? What would make you look back and be like, job well done? Like I lived a, I had a very successful career. I did everything I could possibly want to do. Is that gonna be? Uh, experiences you've created through the aviation community, uh, being a pilot, flying, um, just being an airline pilot, chasing money, chasing whatever it may be. What is kind of the most or what would be the best age 65? You're looking back fondly. What's like the best idea or what would uh, you look back on and be like, dang, that was awesome.
1: (laughs) So, oh man, I think there's a lot. There's a lot of things I want to do in aviation. Um, but I think for me, so for me, I'm not an aviation for the money. I'm in it for the experiences. So for me, um, age 65, what would I be doing? So my, my whole like end goal is to work and hopefully fly for NASA. So if I've hit that point, which is a very, very difficult path that a lot of people kind of roll their eyes at me for, because it is so, you know, well, exclusive, but if I can even remotely get close to that, that's going to mean success. But at the same time, also making sure that I'm not leaving anybody behind. So I have a handful of mentees that I'm, you know, that I'm helping, you know, kind of coach through their flight training. And if I'm not helping people kind of get to, you know, reach their goals, then I also won't feel successful, um... You know, I want to make sure the people that ask me for help are also getting the help that they deserve and that they get the experiences that they deserve and, you know, kind of helping them along. So, yeah, it's as much about me as it is everybody else, you know, that, you know, ask for my help. So, um, yeah, it'd be amazing to look back and have this great career with NASA having, I don't know how many, how many degrees, because, well, knowing me, I just, I like school. That's just like my wife. (laughs) I, oh my, yeah, it's it's a bad habit. Yeah, I, guess, it's not a way, good. I love it. But <laughs> um, I don't really have any like specific airplanes that I really like have to fly. I don't have any specific experiences that, you know, I have to have other than maybe like, I want to fly, like, in a weird way, Mike has kind of influenced me, I really want to fly heavies. So in one shape or form, I'd love to do that fly internationally. But other than that, it's pretty much as long as I'm keeping my eye focused on whatever my goal is and that I make sure that I achieve them, then that's gonna be success for me. And then of course seeing other people that I've helped succeed is kind of gonna be like a little cherry on top. Um, there. So I don't really have a cool set of <laughs> set of plans, but you know, for me, I don't really know what I'm gonna wanna do in 15 years. Cause I mean, look at what's happened in the last five. So I'm the, I'm the worst person to ask, you know, what are you going to do? Because I don't know, things, cool things can happen or uncool things can happen. And I can end up like this year or I could be, you know, chief pilot of something someday. So, um, everybody well, sees me about, well, yeah, I was like, I could be a NASA. I could be, I don't know, an astronaut. I don't know, but I'm going to push myself to, to get to wherever I can, which right now is NASA. So
0: yeah, why not you, you know? Do everything you can yeah, to put yourself yeah, in the position. Exactly.
1: There's nothing that says that I can't, right? And I always, take, I always take it, you know, like the standards or the requirements. Those are goals. And if, you know, if I don't meet them 100%, the worst thing that they can ever say is no. And I would much rather reach the end of my career having, you know, having at least tried to get to that position than to look at it and say, oh, you know, I don't know. I don't really meet it 100%. No, I'd rather apply anyway if they say no a hundred times. at least I tried a hundred times
0: so I love it that's a that's a good I like your outlook on it And I think <laughs> no,
1: yeah, <thanks. laughs> having big
0: goals is very important, and being i mean it's okay to not reach those big goals, but having something to strive for, having something to to constantly try to improve your life. We used to always say in football that if you're not getting better, you're getting worse, and I guess yes, one of the worst I love things, that. <laughs> one, of, yeah, one of the worst things you can do is just not do anything. Uh, and never kind of feel satisfied. Even if you're a pilot, it's like when you're a pilot, you still have a decent amount of time off. We were talking earlier about your schedule and how you have eight on, six off. It's like, you can do a lot in six days other than just play video games, which is what I did (laughs) and why Christina, my wife forced me to be, or to start the podcast. (laughs) But there's so much you can do. And it took me a long time to really realize that even having someone kind of preach that to me over and over and over again for such a long part of my life with playing football. But it's that you have so much free time, and you have so much. Uh, just goals are so important, and striving to be better, and continually improving yourself, and and going after the crazy ambitions. It's like I just said earlier. It's like why not you? Why can't it be you? Why can't you do right. that? You know. So always exactly. go for it. Exactly.
1: Yeah, and you know, yes, I do a lot, and you know, I can be tired sometimes, but honestly, I just. I, I want to keep trying. It's very much in my, it's very much my personality just to always, you know, keep pushing myself. Um, look for fi- like, I don't know, whatever 15 things that I do and all these short term goals, long term goals. But I, you're absolutely right in saying that if you're not trying to improve in some, you know, way, shape or form, then you're just going backwards. And, you know, that's why I always preach to people like, yeah, you may have a private pilot's, you know, certificate, but. If you're not continually learning, whether or not you want an instrument reading or a commercial, if you're not actively, you know, trying to improve your knowledge base or trying to test it or whatever, you're just going backwards. So I uh, I always advocate that. Which for me, being in school is easy to say, and I know for others may be difficult to <laughs> difficult to implement. But hey, I mean, <laughs>
0: oh no, for sure, I would definitely agree. Uh, transitioning a little bit away from goals. Um, I want to talk a little bit and you can talk as much about this as you want or you don't want. It can just be a question and you don't want to talk about it. That's fine too. But I want to talk about what your experience has been being a woman in aviation. Uh, You have done, I mean, Military-esque with Silveria Patrol, that's kind of like the military environment. And I'm guessing it's very similar to what it could be in the military. You also went to a full-blown aviation school, which is probably extremely male-dominant, even more so than any other school you could possibly go to. And then also engineering is a male-dominant field. And then you add engineering and aviation, even more male-dominant. So you've just done male-dominant fields over and over and over again. What has been your experience as you have grown up in this industry? Has it improved through the time? Has it gotten worse? Has it stayed the same? Is it just based on the company? Kind of what has been your overall experience with that?
1: I think the biggest thing is that it really depends on where you are um, and like literally physical location as well as company culture. Um I wouldn't say it's really gotten better or worse. Um, The first time I ever experienced any sort of, you know, comments about, you know, women in aviation, I was 12 years old. And it was my um, my second Civil Air Patrol meeting and I meeting and I heard, you know, a comment about, you know, how women don't really belong in the flight deck. And I mean, I was 12 and I was like, yeah, right. okay, whatever. (laughs) Like, (laughs) sure. Like, you're going to stop me. okay. So I brushed it off. And, you know, I, when I, and, um, you know, I, when I went to school, I had nothing but support. I never felt like I was different. I never felt, you know, I, I mean, I just felt like I was one of the guys and, you know, that's kind of a not great remark to use either, but I just, you know, I didn't, nothing was different. I was there, I was there to fly and I did the absolute best I could. Um, so going to, I mean, going to riddle was great. i you know, uh, that may not be everybody's case, but for me, I had a great experience. You know, I, I never faced anything. Um, when, um, when I went to the engineering world, um, I faced a little bit, a, a little bit, um, I've definitely, some of the nastiest remarks I've ever heard was, um, when I was a, a relatively new flight instructor, um, and when I was an engineer, um, and, Unfortunately, the nastiest remark I've ever gotten um, had to do. Uh, basically, the guy was saying that, "Wow, like I wish that you know I could you know change to become a woman so that I could get free flight training." In front of my 16 year old female flight student, it was her first flight, and she like broke down in tears because she was like, "He has she she like didn't know how to process it because nobody had ever talked to her that way." So you know that's of course a great way to start flight training. Um, so people don't really don't always recognize what they're saying, but, um, you know, in in my engineering, I I've seen a lot more ageism than, you know, I have other things, which is like a different topic, but, um, I've been very fortunate. I haven't really had anything outright said to me. Um, I've had people assume things. So as an air ambulance pilot, you know, the thing that I am usually assumed is that, you know, I'm a, flight medic or a flight nurse. And first of all, there is nothing wrong with getting mistaken with that because they work hard. They have a hard job. They have a lot of training. They're very specialized. So I'm not I'm not going to knock that at all. But, you know, it still happens. And it happens to um, you know, for example, I've flown with, you know, a handful of male flight nurses and flight medics and they are approached as the pilots. And they said, "Hey, you know how much fuel do you want?" yada 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 and they pull me side, pull me over. And they say, you're going to have to talk to the pilot. And, you know, of course, everybody apologizes and they're, oh, I'm sorry. I assumed and all this stuff. So it happens, you know, whether or not people intend it, it still happens. Um, for me, you know, it's, I, I don't, you know, I'm not here to cause a scene. I'm here to do my job. I'm here to fly the airplane. And my my only hope is that, you know, people seeing me do my job and doing it well is, you know, what's going to remind them that, you know, we're not, we aren't stereotypes, right? We're people and we're people trying to do a job and, you know, try to not assume. Um, <laughs> I was on a flight, I was commuting and I was on a flight um, to someplace. I got on the airplane. The flight attendant sees, you know, my, my company logo, which has airplanes and a medical symbol and things like that. And the flight attendant, she goes, Oh, I hope we don't need you on the flight. And I was like, Yeah, that'd be a really bad time. So then, you know, not thinking anything. Then we get then as I'm getting off the airplane, she goes, see, everybody was healthy. We don't need you. And I said, Yeah, it'd be a really bad day if you needed me to jump up in the flight deck. And she just kind of stared at me for a second and she was like, Oh my God, you're not a nurse. And I said, Nope, I'm not a nurse. And um I think <laughs> I think I was as tired, but I basically said like 10 years of hard work, training, dedication and progression does not deserve to be assumed in either case. And, you know, she apologized profusely, but you see it, you hear it. Um, Some, you know, I'm very lucky, like I said, like I haven't really heard anything, um, you know, very, very aggressive said towards me. So but I know that a lot of women do experience that still. Um, So I wouldn't say it's better, wouldn't say it's worse. It's still there, um, whether or not people intend it. So um, I just hope that, you know, for the girls and the women that are listening, that, you know, they don't take that, you know, as a reason to not like pursue this. Um, It's just, you know, we experience it in aviation and how you handle it and how you present yourself is going to make the world of difference. And I choose, you know, I choose to try and educate where I can. And um when it makes sense and when it's, you know, um appropriate. Um, but I'm also not here to have an argument about it, right? So I just I'm I'm here to do my job, be a pilot, and that's what I am. So absolutely.
0: And I, I am not the one to to say like there is a time and place for everything and I'm not the one to say when the time and place is for you to correct someone in that because you should absolutely correct someone in that anytime that they do mistake that because like right. you said, you've worked so hard to get where you get to where you are. And it's not okay for someone to second guess you or assume things that aren't necessarily true and when you say that people don't know what they're saying i want it to be very important that everyone knows that that still doesn't mean that it's okay they're saying it like they that that doesn't excuse them that doesn't make it okay that doesn't like oh he's just old or oh he's just this it's like no he's just a dick he's just a jerk you know like it's just as simple as that like Um, it is a problem in aviation. It is a problem in a lot of fields. Like I said, like we talked about engineering as well, like that, I'm sure there's, very similar situations going on there. Uh, and it's up to our generation. It's up to the younger generation and it's up to everyone. I mean, all the guys, guys need to hold guys accountable. Girls need to to hold guys accountable and continue to show up and to continue to just ball out and make these dudes feel uncomfortable. And <laughs> if they can't take it, then they need to get out of it because it's going to be the future and it's kind of how everything's going be, to be going. So might as well get used to it, you know?
1: Usually what I tell people, too, is like, you know, because, you know, I I do, you know, I'm in the aviation industry that's combined with the medical industry. So you kind of get stereotypes both ways on both sides. So what I usually, you know, what you'll usually hear me ask is, what's your role? Where, you know, what is your role on the airplane if I don't know somebody in particular? And usually that gives them the opportunity to say, hey, I'm a pilot. Hey, I'm, you know, the flight attendant. I'm the nurse. I'm this, whatever. But it's, it's kind of set in a way such that you're prompting them as, you know, whatever you're doing is important to the airplane. So, and, um, I've I've noticed that, you know, it kind of makes people feel good because it's like, oh, I have a role in this. Like I, I have, you know, I'm supposed to be here. I'm meant to do this kind of thing. And, um, hopefully people kind of, you know, consider that when they ask that instead of, you know, um, (laughs) watching two female pilots get out of the cockpit and then, you know, assume that, you know, you aren't the, you aren't, you know, the pilots, you know, or whatever. So, um, hopefully people consider roles instead of, you know, stereotypes if, you know, that's what's processing through their head. So
0: hopefully, uh, for, for all girls getting in aviation or for anyone that wants to get aviation, all this can, can somewhat die away in the stereotypes and, uh, sexism or whatever you want to, to insert any kind of, um, any issues that we have in aviation, because people know what they are, but hopefully they can start dying away. Not people, obviously, but the issues itself and we can, we can grow and we can become better because it's needed.
1: Yep. Every little bit, you know, every student you teach, everybody you talk to, it's all making a difference in the end. And, you know, we, um, we always talk about women, you know, women pilots being 7%. Well, every year we're always trying to get that extra percent. And it's even less for even, you know, other minorities and other, you know, other jobs in aviation, female mechanics, female, you know, air traffic controllers, you know, those aren't those aren't talked about enough. And um, so they're hopefully, you know, every little bit and every person you talk to and exposure like, you know, like what you're doing through the podcast, you know, is helping people realize that. You know, we're all just
0: doing what we want to do. We're just people. So. Absolutely. Just people. Just people. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember when I reached out to you, I might be like two years now, when I first asked you to come on the podcast, I wanted to talk about the Air Race. Uh, I still yes. to this day don't know anything about Air Race. Uh, we've been talking for an hour. I don't want to take too much of your time, but if you can oh, just give me like the biggest run, the quickest rundown you can possibly give me of what the Air Race is, the point of the Air Race, and uh, your involvement
1: in, in the last couple of years. Yes. Okay. So first of all, I love the air race classic. So um it's like it's a huge part of, you know, why I why I'm so passionate about, you know, encouraging women in aviation and in STEM. So basically, Air Race Classic, um, back in the nineteen twenties, air racing was pretty much like the football of the time. You know, people would travel by, you know, well I guess car at the time, but, you know, hours to go and watch what 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 were, you know, men's air racing and, you know, tens of thousands of people will watch this. So obviously it's a big deal. Well, the women weren't allowed to race. And so instead of trying to, you know, fight their way through the men's race, they created their own. So 1929, Amelia Earhart and some other um women pilots at the time created, um, what was affectionately known as the powder puff derby, but it was actually called the women's air derby, which was the women's equivalent to what the men were doing. So, um, it was a, uh, transcontinental air race. So from Concord, California out east of the Mississippi, and, um, they, uh, I forget exactly how many days, but, um, basically the women were literally racing to get to the end Now, um, they had stops, um, in every state every so often, and they would throw parties and the whole concept of powder puff, the powder puff derby is the woman would have to get dressed up and put powder on their faces. You know, when they really, in my mind, I wouldn't want to do that at the end of a long day of flying covered in oil. Anyway, so they, this is kind of what started the Air Race Classic. Now, the Air Race Classic itself, um, is the organization that has continued this legacy of women's air racing so uh women's air racing has been going on now for over 90 years. And um 90, I'm going to do my math wrong. We're, next year is 92 years. Um the Air Race Classic itself has been continuous for over 42 years. So it's been a long time. But basically what the Air Race Classic is, it's a 4-day day VFR uh race. Um that's over 3,000 miles. The um the women so obviously you have to be a, you know, a woman pilot to do this. Now um, the types of aircraft you fly, it could be anything I believe under 500 horsepower um, and you can fly twins as well. So I think I've seen things like I've seen Luscombe's race with a mighty 115 horsepower all the way up to uh, Cessna 310s. So, um, it's pretty much whatever you can get. But the difference between our race now and the original um women's air derby is that we don't race based on or you don't win based on who gets there first. It's based on a handicap. So similar to golf, you have this, you know, in this in our case a speed you are trying to beat. The, your handicap speed is based on full power cruise configuration at 6000 foot density altitude. And, um, you fly a little square, um, five minute legs, roughly, um, a few months before the race. And that gives you your handicap speed. And of course you fly the square, so you will any win factor. And your whole point in this race is to beat your handicap. So, um, I won in 2016 with my amazing race partner, Abby. She, I, I adore her. She was amazing to work with. And, um, I believe we beat our handicap by somewhere between five and seven knots. But if you have a really strong headwind on a race, you can beat it by a negative speed. So think about it. So like if everybody's facing the same wind, everybody's slower than their handicap. But if you are closest to your handicap, you still win. So it's a little bit of math there, (laughs) but, um, yeah, basically you're just trying to beat your handicap speed. Um, and, uh, you're obviously they push a high level of safety. Um, they, it's, it's a good challenge of not only your flying skill, but your knowledge. So you have to know your airplane that you're racing. You have to understand weather theory. You have to, you know, understand your own personal limits and respect those just as much as what the FAA provides. So it's, it's a really good challenge as a pilot. And, um, I've done it three times, um, as a racer. Um, I won once, I uh, have also been stop chair. Um, I was stop chair for, um, the Lee summit airport in Kansas city back in 2019. And, um, unfortunately we didn't have a race last year, but, um, me and two of my friends, we're getting a team together for next year. So I'm going to put a little plug in that, um, <laughs> we're, we're fundraising for it. So if you'd love to donate, you know, we are, um, we are looking for donors and sponsors, um, So we're very, very excited um, just to be a part of it again. Nice.
0: That's awesome. What what does winning mean? Is winning, um, do you, like, what what does all this winning entail? Is it just kind of, hey, good job, you won? Or do you win, like, scholarship money? Do you win, is there anything that you can also win with winning the air race? Or is it just kind of bragging rights?
1: Uh, Depending on the year, you do get some sort of award. So um, the year I won, we won both collegiate and overall. So by winning collegiate, we won, um, an ATP CTP course with PSA airlines. So I was able, so I was able to knock out my ATP CTP, um, for the actual race itself. uh, We won some money and we won, um, a Bose headset. So, um, yeah, it worked out pretty well. Other, it does change by year, um, depending on who the sponsors are for the race, but that's, you know, what I was able to physically take away from it. And, you know, the bragging, the bragging rights are there, but I I kind of look at it, it's more of like, I don't really, I don't really (laughs) advertise it too much. Um, It's just, it was a really fun experience that made me a better pilot. And that's how I think about it.
0: That's awesome. That sounds like a great experience and a great race. And I hope that it continues and I hope that uh, you can continue your involvement in it. And I look forward to seeing you guys race again. So that should be sweet.
1: Yes, me too. (laughs) That's awesome.
0: That's really exciting. And it's also great that you had someone pay for your ATP C T V course because I had to pay for it and it was the biggest waste of money I've ever spent in my life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty thankful for it, but I have to hurry up and get my hours so I can... Oh my uh, gosh, yeah, you do. (laughs) Yeah, I'm running out of of time. so Do whatever it takes.
0: uh, (laughs) Go steal a plane. I'm trying, I'm
1: trying. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens, maybe next year. (laughs) Yeah, maybe.
0: That's awesome. Well, cool. Well, I want to move into the rapid fire section. So this is just yes. going to be a bunch of aviation themed questions and you have, the main thing is you have to say the quickest and first answer that comes to your mind. There's no need to explain on anything. All
1: right. Okay. Yes. All
0: right. What is your favorite airplane overall to any airplane?
1: F-14 Tomcat.
0: All right. What about <laughs> airliner? Do you have a favorite one of those?
1: I'd say 7-4.
0: Small piston? Oh.
1: J3 Cub.
0: What about a uh, corporate plane? Or a corporate jet, I should say.
1: Ooh. Um, Sabreliner.
0: Oh, well, boo. I know why you chose I, okay. that one. Okay, it's cool. <laughs> Get out <though>. of here. <laughs> it is a cool plane though. I'll give it to you. That's fine. <laughs> All right, what is the ugliest airplane you've ever seen?
1: Uh, Belfagor.
0: Ooh, I don't know if I know what that is. I'll have to look that up. It's
1: a, yeah, it's it's interesting.
0: All right, good to know. Uh, what's something you wish you knew before you became a pilot?
1: Not to doubt myself, not to doubt my skill.
0: Yeah, that's great. I love that. Who in the industry could be living or they could have passed on by now? Who in the industry would you like to meet most?
1: Jackie Cochran.
0: Oh, uh, what's your favorite aviation book?
1: Oh, Fate is the Hunter.
0: All right. That's a popular one. Mm -hmm. I was supposed to read it for college, but I never did. You know, (laughs) I was never good at that. So maybe I'll try again now. (laughs)
1: Yes, you should.
0: Uh, what's your favorite thing about aviation? If you could just choose one overall favorite. The people. What is the hardest approach you've ever flown in your life?
1: Uh, going into Madison, winds were varying 50 degrees and gusting 40.
0: Nice. That mm-hmm. sounds awful.
1: <laughs> it was. <laughs> what's your favorite approach you've ever flown? The Kennedy Space Center shuttle approach. That's awesome. Mm-hmm.
0: What's your favorite airport to land at?
1: uh oh bwi all right because it's near yeah
0: what's your least yeah. favorite airport at?
1: uh philly
0: <laughs> philly's interesting i can i can attest to that <laughs> would you rather fly ifr or vfr
1: depends on the airplane
0: good answer uh you are connecting on an airline flight You are trying to get some good food at an airport. What is your go-to airport food? Chick-fil-A. Yes. Perfect answer. (laughs) All right. Now, let's say you are just flying across the country. You could even be in a Lear and you could be making a fuel stop. You have like an hour to go get food. What's your go-to? Grab the crew car. Go get some food. What's the go-to?
1: Depends on the place. But if it has to be something I can get anywhere... I would probably still say Chick-fil-A if I can get it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I like this. This is going to be a good interview. (laughs) (laughs) Would you rather fly over mountains, beaches, or cities?
1: Depends on the airplane, but I'm going to say beaches.
0: Airbus or Boeing? Boeing. Favorite airline livery? TWA. TWA. Would you rather fly one very long trip? Like you're in a, a global 7,000 and you're flying 16 hours, or would you rather fly 10 short trips in a J3 Cub?
1: 10 short trips.
0: What is the hardest checkride you've ever taken? A CFI. What was the easiest checkride you've ever taken?
1: Uh, commercial multi-add-on.
0: Would you rather fly an, an ERJ or a CRJ? Oh,
1: which, which ERJ are we talking?
0: Uh, 175.
1: <laughs> okay. I would say 175
0: then. Yeah. Well, I guess the 145 is more comparable. Would you rather fly a 145 <laughs> or a 200?
1: <laughs> 200. <laughs>
0: right. Would you rather fly on an ERJ or a CRJ? ERJ. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Piper or Cessna? Let's say you want to buy an airplane. You can buy a small Piper, small Cessna. What are you buying?
1: Oh, Cessna.
0: 141 training versus 61. Someone's coming up to you saying, hey, what can I do? They You have a long conversation. You tell them, oh, whatever's oh, best no. for you. They say they're, they're similar to you. You have to tell them 141, 61. What are they doing?
1: 61.
0: What is your favorite airline? And when I say favorite airline, it could be who you just love to travel on or it could be someone that you would want to take an ultimate trip on. You have a business class ticket on any airline in the whole world and you get to choose one. What would it be?
1: Oh, no. Um... <laughs> I would say Lufthansa, but the caveat being I've never actually flown Lufthansa.
0: <laughs> but it should be good. <laughs>
1: yes, exactly. There
0: you go. That's awesome. Well, Emmy, those are all the rapid fire questions I have for you. My last question is oh, going to awesome. be, someone's listening to this. Uh, it's a young girl in aviation, very similar to you. They kind of love military. They, they want to keep getting into this career. Uh, what are three tips that you wish either someone gave to you or you would be able to give to this person about sure. getting a career in aviation?
1: The best. No, they're the best advice I've ever been given is to be like a sponge to absorb as much information as you can. So go to EAA meetings, uh, go to ninety nines meetings, network, but most importantly, listen to the people that you're networking with. Don't just make networking connections to have them listen to people. Um, the second thing um, is to believe in yourself my biggest hurdle was losing confidence in myself because I wasn't where I wanted to be. And the reality is, we each have our own path in aviation. Never give up on yourself, and always believe in your abilities and in your skills because you're probably a little bit more talented than you think you are. And I think the, the last piece of advice is have fun. If you're not having fun, you're not doing something right. So always make sure that even through the grueling process of flight training, job, you know, applying for jobs. Um, flying your first, you know, jet job, always make sure that you're having fun, you know, even a little bit um, every day. So as long as you, as long as you do that, I think you're gonna have a great time. Um, Yeah. Have a great time in aviation. So that's my little tidbit. (laughs)
0: Love it. It's perfect. Couldn't have said those any better myself. Emmy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. I'm glad we finally got it uh, done after like two years of trying or not trying and just but yeah, we're here. We did it and it's going to be out. So it's going to be great. Yes. Uh, thank you so I'm much. So excited. Um, I'm excited for your career. I hope you get to continue to show off and live a better life than Mike because <laughs> screw him. No, I'm just kidding. He's great. But <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, we love him, killing, but yeah.
1: I'm cool too. So. Yeah.
0: Cooler. Yeah. Keep killing it. And uh, I look forward to seeing and following your career. Awesome. Yes, me
1: too. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Yeah,
0: I had a great time. Thanks, Emmy. I appreciate it. Yeah. And that is a wrap of episode 146 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Emmy, thank you so much for coming on. It was an honor to share your story. I had a lot of fun talking with you and I hope you guys enjoyed that episode as well. Like I said, it's pretty inspirational. It's pretty encouraging. She's done a lot at a very young age and I I just only know she's going to find her way into NASA and become an astronaut or whatever she wants to do there. So she's got a bright future ahead of her and I look forward to seeing what happens. Avery Nation, if you'd like to be in the podcast, send me an email, pilotthepilothq at gmail.com or if you have someone that you would recommend to be on the podcast, send them an email as well. I'm going to be transitioning hopefully to some video YouTube interviews. So uh, send me email, let me know in a comment or send me a direct message on Instagram. If you think that's a good idea, I think it could be pretty cool to do some video video interviews as well. So let me know. Aviation, Nation hope you guys are having a great day. hope you had a great Thanksgiving and as always, happy flying.